Welcome everybody to Taylor Capital's live broadcast and uh, this is our podcast called The Art of Acquisitions and today we've got the benefit uh, privilege of having Craig Greenhouse. He's been in the space for many, many years like myself and um, he's, he's in a great space actually and he's gone, it's been an amazing evolution. So really privileged to have him and uh, you know what is The Art of Acquisitions? What is this podcast all about? It's really getting guests on to help you uh, do deals, do better deals, understand, learn strategies of how you can do acquisitions yourself. Because acquisitions for me is simply the fastest way to create cash flow, grow your wealth, or capital chunks, capital events in your life. And so, and so with that said, let's jump in and find out all about Craig Greenhouse. So Craig, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for your time, um, for being here today. And could you... Um, just give us a little introduction about who you are and how you, you know, who, who is Craig, Craig Greenhouse and how did you get into acquisitions in this space? Sure. So I've always been entrepreneurial ever since I was a teenager. I was self-employed from the age of about 15 doing various things, uh, mainly in the piano space, weirdly. So I started off my own piano tuning business in the 80s and then but I was also very interested in property, but I never had the capital to do property till the 90s. So in the 90s, I had my own piano tuning business, which was making a reasonable amount of money, about the double the average wage, just working part time. And I realized I could scale this up with acquisitions. So I actually did my first two no money down acquisition deals in the early 90s. And I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, oh, that's great. I've bought businesses with no money down. Didn't really kind of think anything of it and um, just carried on with my... After you did an acquisition, then what, how, what, the, what was the effect of sales? Was it like a doubling of sales? Yeah, or... after I did the two acquisitions, I probably at least doubled my sales, possibly trebled them, actually. Yeah, so that was a great thing to do with, with no capital risk to myself as well. So no money down, no capital risk. You did two acquisitions and doubled the size of your business, doubled the revenue of your business. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty but, cool. By that point, I was kind of earning about four times the average wage. And I thought, this is good. I, I really wanted to get into property. Maybe I should use my income to start getting into property. Yeah, maybe you should just keep doing what you did because that's like <laughs> <laughs> in retrospect, perhaps. Yeah. Because <laughs> that sounds pretty cool. So yeah. how long have those two acquisitions been around for your first two deals? How, you know, how long have they been in business? So they've been in business for I think about 10 or 20 years, both of those. And uh, but there were guys that were retiring. It was a classic retirement sale. The guys kind of had built the business up over the years. Yeah, yeah. Didn't have any heirs to pass it on to. Who yeah. do they pass it on to? How do they get some money out of it? So I came along and bought them out. Yeah, fantastic. So, and how long had your business been going at that point? Uh, probably about five years by that point, five or six years. Yeah, so five or six years, and all of a sudden you buy two businesses that have been going around for a couple of decades. Uh, double the size of your business, 4x your income, personal income. Yeah. Tell tell the guys, how on earth did you do that? So basically networking, knowing people in the space, knowing uh, knowing people in the local area who potentially had deals and kind of keeping my ears open for opportunity. I think that's what it was, was got me those deals. Yeah, no, that's how you found it, 100%. But and no money down, you've doubled your turnover, you've forexed your personal income with no risk and no money out of pocket. So what, what was that structure? How did you structure it and how did you keep the owners happy about that structure? So the structure was 
partly it was like the legacy of the businesses. The guys didn't want their businesses to just die. So I was like the safe pair of hands to take the businesses on. But in terms of the financial structure, it was a revenue share over a small period of time. So it wasn't even any having to borrow any capital or anything. It was literally like, right, I'll take your business over. I'll give you a share of the revenue. So it was like an earn out effect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. So no, no PGs, no, un, nothing underwritten, no debt in the business. Right, no remortgaging the house, no loans, no nothing like that. <laughs> that sounds phenomenal. And, you know, so no money down, no money in, no money at risk. It's an air night. So whatever comes in, you're obviously paying out of that, almost like a percentage of whatever's coming in. If it doesn't come in, you don't pay. Uh, and yep. you double the business and forex your personal income. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, so why would a vendor want to do that? Uh, I think a lot of vendors think of their business as being their baby and they they kind of they want to retire, but they don't necessarily want to just liquidate the business or give it up. And they yeah. like, would like to hand it over to someone who can kind of look after it and grow it for them as their legacy. Yeah, isn't that incredible? And I, I find that often as well, that business owners, um, you know, money's important, of course. Uh, but what's most important is that it's all psychology. It's a complete psychological sell um, from their side and your side. And it's about getting to that kind of know, like, and trust that someone's going to take care of their bambino, which is their business, yeah. and move it forward and take care of the team. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's more important than the money I've found in a lot of deals, uh, which is quite interesting, you know? Yeah, so, very much so, yeah. Uh, and quite, and this, is, this should be a big, massive insight for anyone watching here. The money is not the most important part of the deal. It's the psychology, it's that trust, the know, like, and trust, and taking care of the baby, taking care of the team. Point to note, I would think there. Um, so after that, after you've done two de deals, you've doubled your business, what, what, what did you do after that? And then what was your focus going forward? Do you do more of the same? Or do you get that shiny penny thing? Uh, I've got this, so now look at something else. <laughs> so I, I, as I said, I really wanted to get into property. And what I should have done was bought lots of buy-to-lets they were stupidly cheap and I was sort of the average house was about six months income for me but I bottled out I thought oh let's look at this buy to let deal oh I'm only going to get a 15% return on capital that's not very good I want at least 16% so <laughs> so I kind of bottled out of buy to let in 95 96 and then bizarrely went into commercial property in 98 so I like startups as well so I started up a piano retail business so I leased a commercial property and refurbished that i also started up a cafe so i leased a commercial property and refurbished that actually that was amusing because the cafe was actually doing really well and at the time as you know we were kind of in recession but coming out of recession we managed to lease another commercial property behind this one so we doubled the space of the cafe the uh, capital values were going up and a lot of these commercial properties were being sold on and sold on and what actually happened was the commercial property at the back we'd managed to negotiate a six month uh, rent free period it got sold within the six months it then got sold again and because yeah. of an error in the paperwork we never paid any rent on it at all ever <laughs> <laughs> maybe you, you might want to edit that bit out but <laughs> fantastic um, yeah, so, so anyway, so by the end of the 90s, I was in the position where I had my cafe going, I had my piano retail business, I'd also set up a e-commerce business and a software business as well. But I kind of still had the property bug and thought, you know, what, I really, really want to get into property big time. So 
2000, 2001, the first residential property I ever bought was a 15-bedroom hotel. 15-bedroom hotel? Of course. Yes. First property I ever bought, yeah. <laughs> go bigger, go home, eh? I love it. Yeah, exactly. Which had been a bed and breakfast, but it was a bit defunct. And I don't know if you could call it a property or a business, but because of the fact it had been a business, it was kind of like a effectively a no-money-down acquisition of a business again, because... I didn't actually have all the money that I needed to buy it. So I kind of um, did it no money down. <laughs> and then as soon as I bought it, I re- uh, turned it back into a bed and breakfast again. And the cash flow was fantastic on that. So I was able to pay down my borrowings on that really, really quickly, like within six months. So that was a little bit of risk and I had to take a mortgage and I took on some JV investors. But the risk was really low because it cash flowed so well that it just kind of paid for itself within months. Isn't that quite interesting? Because you had no money, you came up with a creative strategy to buy it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's quite insightful as well. So anyone out there thinking they've got no money, um, well, they've got money, but maybe they don't have as much as they think. Sometimes having no money back against the wall, you get more creative. And I would always suggest that, you know, you know, get more creative before using your own money. Try and, you know, work a deal so that everybody's happy, a holistic win-win approach. But you know, try and work a deal so there's no money in or no money left in at the end. Um, and that's obviously been your uh, modus operandi all the way along. <laughs> the <same effect. laughs> Very much so, yeah. So what happened? So the- what I've ended did, did you sell it? Or- what happened to the hotel? So, so what happened then? That was 2001. Obviously, as most of us recall, prop, uh, capital values were going up massively. The cash, The hotel was cash flowing splendidly. I decided to give up the piano retail business because although that was profitable, I thought, well, it's better doing the hotel. I really wanted to get into property big time. So because of the cash flow from the hotel and the increase in property values, I was then able to, it was effectively a startup, but I started up my own building company, hired a few builders, and over the period of two years, built up a portfolio of 12 properties, which meant that I could then retire in 2003 from the cash flow from these properties. (laughs) Fantastic. And uh, were they all buy-to-lets or more like the hotel-type things? They were mainly buy-to-lets. One was another hotel, which was a bit smaller, which I actually turned into a executive detached house. And when the council said, oh, we can't get planning to, to turn this hotel back into a house, I said, well, I bought another house that was a defunct hotel, and I've turned that back into a hotel. So it's kind of one-to-one. So they said, oh, okay, yeah, that's fine then. So the the day I got planning on that, I instantly added a hundred grand to the value of that, which was fun. That's quite nice. That's lovely. And back then in 2002, a hundred grand was a hundred (laughs) grand. And actually that particular deal was an interesting uh, example of persistence because it had been on the market for a year or two with estate agents and I'd been kind of watching it. It dropped off the market. So I actually went around the house and knocked on the door and said, hi, are you still selling your house? And they said, well, we're kind of not, but we might do. So I then negotiated a deal, which was really good and uh, kind of did it on a outside the agents. And part of it was like, you're not going to be using a state agent so I can save you some cash. So I, again, got about a 5% discount on the property because of that. But again, if I'd have just let that one go and thought, oh, I won't bother because it's not with the agents, I would have lost that. But that made me quite a lot of money just because of my persistence. Yeah, and I think that's a great point as well. All, all my deals have been because I've been last man standing in the deal. Um, you know, and 
I've, I've really never seen a deal that's hit my desk. That I thought that's a great deal. It has to be made into a great deal. Um, yeah. And that takes time and it takes that no like and trust over a period of time. And, and my average is usually about nine months. We've done a deal in a day for the pound and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Didn't really enjoy that as much. Um, but the, the ones that work best for me usually take nine months to get from a you know, first encounter to actually getting an exchange or completion kind of thing. Um, and it is persistence. It's incredible how many people are, uh, the apathy of some people that just can't be bothered. You know, when one deal can actually change your whole life around, which is pretty incredible. Uh, so keeping that, that focus, that goal and keeping in touch, you know, I think it's absolutely critical. So after you're, you've retired, 2003, you've retired. Then what, I can't imagine you being the retiring type. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? What, what happened after that? that so I, I had a couple of life changes within a couple of years. I sort of had a bit of a midlife crisis, got divorced had to get rid of quite a lot of my property portfolio, went into consulting for a while um, to earn some income because not having the property portfolio anymore, I kind of lost my income. Uh, got married again, had kids, but I still had the property and company acquisition bug. So a few years ago, I thought, you know what, I really want to get back into buying and selling companies again. So I did about five years ago. Yeah, fantastic. And what was your, your kind of first memorable deal when you got back on the saddle? So I did a classic one pound distressed deal. There was a property maintenance company with about 25 staff turning over about one and a half million, but it had been losing money. I came along with a couple of business partners, negotiated the deal. And the guy, when we went into the room, he wanted half a million pounds for this company. But by the time we talked to him for about two hours, I managed to get the company for a pound. So a £499,999 pound discount. That was a good day's work. Absolutely. You should have stayed another hour. You might have got some money off them. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you manage to do that then? What was the the biggest uh, key takeaway for people here, the insight that you can give them, how to go from half a million to a pound in a meeting? Was he he on the the edge of falling over the cliff? Yeah, I think the, the phrase that I like to say is probing the pain. So there was a lot of pain in the business. And I kept asking questions about, so looking at these numbers and this looks really painful. How are you going to cope with that? Oh, well, I don't know. So this loan that you've taken with this PG, what are you going to do about that? Oh, I don't know. So I just kept sort of probing the pain and saying, right, this is a problem. That's a problem. How are you going to get over that? And ha- having a track record of being in property before, again, I think it was almost like the safe pair of hands. I could prove that I had the skills to actually fix yeah. property and fix property companies. So that that was something that got me the deal as well. Yeah, brilliant. And what was the kind of, uh, I take it, it was obviously on the edge of perhaps, you know, going over the cliff. And yeah. did you do a, a kind of liquidation and set it up again? Or how did you get, you know, what was your plan as soon as you took the reins, your first 90 days, what was the game plan? So we got an insolvency practitioner in and we did a CVA, a creditor's voluntary arrangement, which reduced the monthly debt payments massively. Uh, I was there probably one day a week for a couple of months. And to be honest, it, it wasn't the best deal financially in that I didn't actually make any money out of it. But it was a great learning curve because I learned how to stop vans getting repossessed. I learned how to stop annoyed builders going around to building sites and ripping out um things that they've installed <laughs> so i had quite a few heated phone calls with builders talking them down um, 
I, I did a, it's, it's, it's great life experience. Right? You get paid to get kind of experience like this that you've never ever had that kind of experience unless you kind of did that kind of deal. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I I kind of at the end of the two months, I thought, you know what? I don't think that this company is going to make any profit unless I do an absolute hatchet job. And I didn't really have the heart to call a meeting with the staff and say, right, half of you have got to go. So. What I actually did was I, I handed the company back to the guy, gave him his pound back, or he gave me my pound back, and uh, kind of said, right, I'm sorry, but much as I'd love to fix this business, I'm not actually, it's too far gone, so yeah. we'll have to leave it with you. And I did keep in touch with him. It kind of went pop about six months later, unfortunately. Yeah, right. Okay, cool. So, uh, you know, sometimes I think the key takeaway here is insolvency can be a tool in your strategy back. Uh, we've used it a number of times, whether that's a CVA that you know, on its own or a prepack administration or a CVA that ends up ending up being into a liquidation where you're pre-agreeing with an, an insolvency practitioner to buy the assets, whatever the assets may be, out of that into another vehicle to give it basically a, a kind of fresh lease of life, a second chance, if you like, to get that business kind of going. And a lot of them don't make it, but in some circumstances, uh, you can obviously provide that kind of uh, fresh new start uh, at the back end, eradicating obviously debt. Because obviously, if you think about this, if you don't do this, it's, it's going to go pop anyway. Yeah. Um, so it gives the staff a chance of having a job going forward. And so it can be a good thing. It can be abused, obviously, as certain people abuse these kind of uh, powers. But um, just think of it as a strategy in your tool bag. And uh, obviously, Craig's used it to great effect with the CVA. Um you know, and, and so after that, you bought it for a pound. Yeah. You've never got, got much money out of it, but you got a hell of a lot of experience learning uh, yeah. going through that CBA process. What, what was your focus then after that? What was your next big deal, if you like? So I re- I got the bug, although I thought, although I didn't make any money out of this when I've got great experience. So I kind of was networking quite a lot of the time with other people doing this sort of thing. And another chap came along to me and said, I've got this deal, but I really don't know how to structure it. So I looked at the deal and said, "We this is a classic leverage buyout. We could do this as a leverage buyout. So I negotiated a, a small amount of equity in return for structuring the deal. So he'd been in the company doing due diligence for a while. I came in and kind of helped negotiate the heads of terms. So we, we had a series of meetings with the owner. It was quite a big company, actually. It was another property maintenance company turning over about £10 million. So it had over 100 staff, but it was similar to the one that I'd done a few months before. So I thought, hmm, I sort of know and understand how this business operates. So yeah. as well as the fact I can stru- structure the leverage buyout, I can also kind of understand how to uh, fix this business if there's anything wrong with it. So just to, just to hit pause there, just to explain what a leverage buyout is, just in case somebody doesn't know what that means, as it kind of rolls off your tongue. We've done a load of them. But what is a leverage buyout? Okay, so that's where you buy a business and obviously the seller wants some money for their business. Some of it you have to give them straight away. Some of it you can give them over time. So the leverage bit is where when the seller has their down payment of, say, 100000 or £200,000, often there's assets in the business which are unencumbered. There might be stock. It could be uh, tools or vans or work in progress or something like that, or even invoices, actually. Invoices have a value that can leverage. So what you do is you find a financing company that's willing to lend against this, and then you use that money to give the owner their down payment. So you're, or using, sometimes the whole 
Yeah, so intrinsically, you're using various existing assets within the business to raise money to give to the owner. That's right. Um, yeah, and, and then there's a portion of obviously deferred and, and potentially earn out as well. Yeah. Um, and there's various different places of where you can go to get that kind of, um, you know, that kind of uh, finance, whether it's cash flow finance, invoice finance, factoring finance, or, um, you know, it could be asset finance, whatever they've got. You can do a sale and lease back on certain, you know, if they've got vans or tractors or trucks or whatever. Uh, so there's multiple ways of raising money for these kind of transactions. But anyway, this is quite a chunky one. Love this. So you, you found another business really, really similar, 10 million turnover. How did you structure the deal and the finance of it? How did that look like? Was any money in from you? No, I didn't put any money in personally, and nor did my business partner. <laughs> so, although it was a 10 million pound company, the net asset value was about six fifty seven hundred thousand pounds and we didn't actually buy all the equity we wanted to keep the existing owner with some equity so between me and my business partner we bought 80 percent of the company yeah. so that brought the purchase price for that equity down to about half a million pounds which we had to put a six-figure sum down and then the rest was going to be deferred over about two years yeah and that six-figure sum came from uh, you know uh, financing some of the assets within the company obviously yeah, it was actually invoice factoring that we did in the end to do that. Yeah, really, you know, how quick did that, you know, that finance get put in place? Uh, that was within, let me think, we did a month or something. Yeah, I think from starting negotiations to completing the deal was about two months actually. So right. it's fairly quick. Yeah. So for everybody listening, if we just recap that, it's ten million turnover. Yeah, it's been around for a long time, I would imagine. Yeah, 20 years, yeah. yeah, so someone's built this business up for 20 years. It's doing 10 million turnover. Net asset value of 650K. Craig comes along, buys 80% of the shares for no money down by financing some of the existing assets within the business that will be paid for by the existing cash flow in the business. <laughs> so pretty cool. So another one with no money down, that's pretty awesome. So what then happened after that then? So you got you own 80% of the business. You've invoice finance uh, factoring finance uh, all the invoices which obviously you, you get invoice finance based on the strength of the the you know who the customer is stronger yeah. the customer the more finance less rate you'll get kind of thing um so what then happened after that so the plan was that me and my business partner would be kind of fairly hands off the first couple of years of most of the profit would go to the seller to pay the deferreds and then after that we basically own it no money down with the profits coming to us as dividends or salary or whatever. That was the plan. <laughs> plan plans and God laughs. Yeah, it, it didn't quite work out like that, unfortunately. But uh, you've heard the phrase skeletons in the cupboard. We discovered some skeletons in the cupboard that for various reasons weren't revealed to us at the time that we bought the company. Basically, there was some tax debts that we didn't know about that had been accruing that our due diligence didn't find out. I won't go into the reasons why, but um, the word avoidance comes to mind. All right. Was that corporation tax? Yeah, various tax. Corporation tax, PAY, VAT. It had kind of been hidden in a sort of off-balance off sheet accounting style. Within purchasing the company, it was fairly obvious within a few weeks that things were not well in the finances of the company. And it got to the stage where we were at risk of not being able to pay the seller's deferred consideration. But because of the fact that the company had these problems that weren't disclosed to us, we were then in the invidious position of 
we've negotiated this deal. It wasn't an earn out. It was a straight fixed deferred consideration, but we've discovered these things. Um, the company was at risk of becoming insolvent at some point in the future. So to cut a very long story short, we then spoke to an insolvency practitioner. They looked at the numbers and said, um, this company has severe problems. The only way to save this in, within the next few months is actually to do a prepacked Phoenix on it. Yeah. So just to explain, what is a prepacked Phoenix administration? So that is where you've got a company which has been trading for a long time. It starts to get into problems. It's got lots of valuable contracts. Uh, well, as I said, 10 million pound turnover. So there's a lot of value in that. It's perhaps got some assets. It's got a lot of staff that rely on the company. So in this case, it was over 100 staff. So you've got the choice of do you just um, put the company into administration and liquidation and then everyone loses their jobs and all the contracts disappear? Or do you try and salvage something from the ashes? So we decided the best thing to do was to salvage the company. So in terms of the pre-pack administration, we had to set up a new trading company, transfer everything from the old company to the new company, but we had to buy it. So we put the old company into administration. Mm -hmm. uh, there was an awful lot of consultants running around valuing things like assets, goodwill. We had to chupy all the staff across. So all 106 staff had to come across and keep their jobs in the new company. Mm -hmm. So we, with the insolvency practitioners and our finance company, we negotiated the deal such that the new company bought all the assets out of the old company we paid the insolvency practitioners uh, deferred consideration over a couple of years to, to buy all the contracts and such like. And then we switched over on a specific date from the old company to the new company. And it's called a phoenix because it's like a phoenix rising from the ashes. So the old company then goes into administration and eventually liquidation, whereas the new company flies off into the distance with its finances all restructured and it's uh, restructured in such a way that you get rid of a lot of the old debt and it's able to kind of fly free without the millstone of the old debt hanging over it. Yes, kind of similar to a CVA, where the CVA, you're using an existing vehicle and you're cutting a deal with the creditors that might be 20 pence on the pound, paid over five years or something, uh, where this is, you're using a brand new entity that's buying at open market value, arm's length valuations. That's why you have to get valuations because the insolvency practitioner has to prove that it was sold at kind of market value or perceived market value and um you know and then it kind of it moves on so obviously you got through that stressful process um yeah. and when you get to the other side did every did everything stay intact did you manage to retain your customers and staff or did things start did wheels start falling off the wagon no the company's still going strong actually the company's yeah. gone from strength to strength to be honest i've kind of exited i've kept my equity in it but i'm not involved in it i kind of exited a couple of years ago so i now have equity but i'm not involved in the day-to-day -day anymore but the company itself is actually going really well yeah fantastic and uh did you bring on a new director or just kept the same director that was already there uh so the existing owner was a director of the old company and became a director of the new company but he can was kind of nearing retirement anyway so he bowed out during the Phoenix because it was all a bit too stressful and he just wanted to have a quiet life in his garden. So right. <laughs> <laughs> I just fair enough. <laughs> if you haven't been through it before, it's, it can be, I suppose, quite a psychologically challenging process. Yeah, that, that's a good way of describing it. It, it, was, it was an interesting time. It was quite stressful. <laughs> 
Yes, absolutely. And then, so obviously you kept your equity, you're getting dividends out of that company, which is happy days. It's kind of like passive income while somebody is growing that business. Yeah. And then are you, are you planning to bolt on acquisitions or, or are you just into, obviously you love what everybody probably wants to hear. You love startups. Yes. Uh, yeah. And so the, I take it from that point on, you just went into new startups. Yeah. Yes. That's right. So I've for about the last year, actually, I've been working with quite a few, about a dozen tech startups and med tech startups, um, helping them get funding. And I'm also involved as a non-executive director with a couple of startups as well, kind of helping them grow and such like. So that that's kind of my bag now. Yeah. So you've been in a, a varied, a different, well, very multiple diversities of acquisitions you've done, which yeah. must give you a certain, I suppose, um, insight, you know, broad spectrum of experience to kind of, uh, you know, when you're looking at a new deal kind of thing. So what's your, what's your perfect kind of deal right now? If somebody's listening to this and they've got a startup, you know, fintech, medtech, whatever, and you know they're thinking they need some help with finance and that kind of thing. What what are you? What's your perfect? What does great look like for somebody listening into this that might want to get in touch with you? What what does great look like for Craig? So I think great for me in terms of startups would be something where they've already got a minimum viable product. They've started selling. They've got some revenues coming in, but they're looking for the next round of capital to actually help them scale out and grow. So it could be a seed capital, could be a Series A capital, but not not too early a stage a company that's actually proved the model and actually started selling would be where i'm at yeah right okay and what kind of sector prefer any preference or just so a I've, tech in the startup you're in <laughs> <laughs> so i've done some deals in recruitment tech i've done some in medical technology and some in educational tech yeah right so that's yeah. kind of a sweet spot at the moment yeah and so anyone listening that's you know at that point where they've got MVP uh, and they're creating cash flow, but they, they really want to ramp up now and they're starting to get things together, need their next round of funding. How do they get in touch with Craig? Uh, they can email me. Do you want to put a link under the podcast at the end of something? Yeah, 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 we'll do that. Yeah, but if you just tell people what your email is right now, okay. uh, best way to get in touch, is it LinkedIn or email? Yeah. Yeah, LinkedIn's great. My email address is craig at cashflow201.com. So Craig at cashflow201.com. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll put that in below in case there's some fintech startups out there that want to you know really scale to that next step. But a question for you. Um what a kind of apparent, you know, what failure or challenge have you gone through in life where going through that challenge has helped mold you? And, and indeed, there's usually a gift in all these challenges if you look hard enough. Um, you know, what what kind of failure have you gone through or challenge? that's then, you know, used that as a springboard to go forward. And what was that kind of insight that you found out within that challenge? I think two or three times I'm very lucky in that I've never gone bankrupt, but I have had a couple of instances over the years where I've found myself with massively negative cash flow and my exes are considerably more than my income. And so I've had to think very creatively about how do I get out of this invidious situation without going bankrupt? So I've my wife says I always have a plan B, C, D, E, and F, not just the plan B. So I always manage to kind of get out of something and uh, do a phoenix on myself. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what, what's been your most valuable lesson you've learned from you know not just your experience but from other people as well along your journey? I think for me, it's all about 
it's being a team player, knowing what your weaknesses are, working with other people that have complementary skills and kind of communication, making sure that everyone knows what you're trying to achieve and how you're trying to achieve it and just making sure that everyone's kind of in lockstep. Yeah, cool. And I suppose going forward, you're into fintech startups, medtech startups with some kind of a technology platform that can be scaled, obviously, fairly rapidly. Yeah. Uh, a, a large audience so what is your what is your one big thing that you want to achieve this decade if there's only one thing that you could you know the decade you're going to achieve this what what is that one thing i think for me i'm currently working with a business partner on our own tech startup for me the great thing would be to build that app up and have a great exit from that in a couple of years time perhaps and what kind of sector is that so that's actually in training in the procurement oh, area okay. it's procurement development network or pdn hub for short yeah fantastic and how are you gonna uh, is that on a, a hub where you're creating a hub with all the learnings digital learnings on are yeah so we my business partner is a heavyweight in the procurement area and so we're developing resources and assets that will help people to become better company buyers to save companies money so the idea is that we're creating online training, live training. We're going to have a mentor exchange if companies have specific problems that they need fixing. Yeah. So anything to do with developing your skills as a buyer in a company, that's where we're at. Yeah, and a great lead-in to get that know, like, and trust for our potential further M&A acquisitions. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you play it. Fantastic. Um, and one final question. Um, you know, for anyone starting out in acquisitions or want to create cash flow, grow their wealth, or create a capital event in their life, what's the kind of the most important advice that you would give to someone starting out kind of thing who wants to really join that journey? Whatever you're seeing, sounds great what you're doing, create no money down deals, buying that 80% share in a 10 million sales company. I want some of that. What's your one single bit of advice you give them? So I think I'd take something I learned from when I wanted to get into property in the 90s and didn't, which was just do it, you know, get your hands dirty, get out there, talk to people. If you think you can't do it, then overcome that negative mental problem, network with people, find mentors who've done it and just creatively solve problems. Basically, if you think, oh, how am I going to get this money to do that? You will, if you persist, you will find a solution to your problems and just practice, 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 do it, do it, do it. Yeah, and I, I suppose surround yourself with like-minded people who are on the same kind of journey. And like you said, you know, surround yourself with people as maybe three, four, five steps ahead of you on that journey. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, because you know, for me, half the battle is make less mistakes. Which to do that, you need to find someone who's three, four, five steps ahead of you because they've made the mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> so certainly, the both of us have made many. Uh, and as we go forward, a lot less mistakes. Um, yeah, actually, funnily enough, on that, one of my mentors in the property world, he's been in property for 40 years. He's probably a decamillionaire in property. And I'm currently in the middle of three property transactions. And I was at risk of losing 10,000 on one of my deals. And I'd spoken to a couple of solicitors. And to be honest, they weren't particularly helpful. But I took the problem to my mentor. He told me what to do. And I'm hopefully within the next couple of weeks getting my 10,000 pounds at risk back again. So mentors are great, you know. Yeah, fantastic. So that's uh, one conversation saved you 10K. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Happy days. Fantastic. <laughs> well, Craig, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much for coming on the podcast. It's, uh, it's been great. I love to hear people's journey that have done multiple deals. 
the learnings, the, the failures, the, the, the getting back up again and kind of, you know, moving on and then doing some great deals. That 10 million sales one was an absolute ripper. Love that. I love the fact you actually involved it and you're still getting divvies from it. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool, you know. Um, but anyway, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much, Craig. And uh, we'll see you all next time, next week on the on the podcast. Tune in for next week, the Art of Acquisitions. Cheers, guys. Thanks, everyone. Cheers.